Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Welcome to another episode of the Roto World Football Podcast. My name is Josh Norris here with Patrick Doherty and John Daigle. Fellas, how are you doing? Vigor for life, you know. Four weeks of NFL football just uh, makes you, you know, yeah, I'm just happy to be alive, Josh. All Great. Right, so. It's a quarter of the season, though. Yeah. Quarter of the season's out of the way. Which yeah. is amazing and surprising at the same time, like all packaged into one. I say out of the way. That's negative connotation. I should say a quarter of the season has now passed What's and work? we've made it. And let's continue moving forward. Uh, Daigle, I have something important to tell you. I'm terrified. Yesterday, I was fortunate to see the most um, impressive, the most happy Pat has ever been in his life. <laughs> did I miss this? When was this? When was he this? Because uh, I didn't see happy Pat. Pat, you should remember because it, this was the, the most memorable memory of your life. We were walking back from the live show. It was about 1 o'clock back in the corner of NBC mm-hmm. Studios. We were walking here to the newsroom to watch the games, and we walk by... None other than <laughs> Rebecca Lowe. Do you oh, know who Rebecca? Yeah, she, yeah, yeah. Everyone out there knows who Rebecca Lowe is. Her dressing uh, room is PL host. Ours. Yeah, and she gave Pat a hello. It, uh, you should have hello. seen <laughs> the glow and the smile and like the childish look it, of enjoyment on his face. It was amazing. It's the most valuable NBC employee out there. So it's nice to get an acknowledgement. So yeah. Um. We keep walking. He goes. She said hello like she knew me. <laughs> she uh, said hi to me. That's a little. Uh, no, I'm not. No, 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 no. A little bit, yeah. I, I think your memory's just faded because yeah. of it was such a. My memory's a faded because it's full of nothing but useless fantasy. I'm sad I missed this moment but, actually um, because I usually just run off after those shows and just yeah. like I usually pound more coffee and then go yeah, right you to the soak desk it in. You and never start know. setting up all the games. You never know who you're going to see at NBC Sports. I, Let's I, set I up. Regret missing that. <laughs> Let's set up today's episode again. Hopefully, you listen to. The previous episode, which is a roundup of all the 14 games, I guess it was 13, on Sunday's uh, slate. Did you leave my Mail Strip Club comment in? I did. Okay, great. I didn't know if you edited that out Tune or in not. for that okay. one. I don't know well, what's going not, on. It's, you're not editing it out right here, so. Nope. I don't know what's going on in these podcasts I'm not involved <laughs> in. Um. But today we are going to, as we do every single Monday slash Tuesday, lean forward and spin forward the stories that we really care about that main takeaways from the weekend and also at the end start off on the surface level of john daigle's waiver wire column which you can go find on roto world um basically as this podcast post yeah. so let's start off with these storylines these narratives these trends that we care about from the weekend and i'll kick it off i'll be selfish here um i look because we are a quarter of the way through the season like we mm-hmm. talked about 
And, you know, we had these preconceived notions prior to the season starting of players we liked, players we didn't. And I wanted to take a moment to take a step back and think who might be the most surprising player so far this year. And I want to take it from a positive spin because being negative is the easiest thing to be when it comes to football. And there's only one answer to me, and it's Gardner Minshew. Gardner Minshew, the sixth-round rookie quarterback who comes in halfway through the first game mm-hmm. of the season and has seven touchdowns compared to one interception. Yep. He's completing around 70% of his passes. He has more touchdown throws than Aaron Rodgers, Jared Goff, Deshaun Watson, Baker Mayfield, and Kyler Murray. I don't know if there's a bigger storyline that is keeping the Jaguars relevant than Gardner Minshew. Um, And I know it's Jacksonville, but just what he's doing in this league without going into the season as a starter is extremely admirable, shocking, surprising, and fully enthralling and entertaining as well. Credit to James Palmer for this little tidbit I have. But among all rookies through their first four games in the Super Bowl era, Minshew ranks with the highest passer rating overall. And then uh, he's tied for the highest completion rate by a rookie. Uh, Like I said, first four games through the Super Bowl era, which is super impressive, especially considering that they signed Nick Foles. And then now we have... Almost like a quarterback conundrum, right? When if Foles returns later this year, I don't think there should be a conundrum. I think it's Minshew, right? I, as long as the Jaguars option. are in contention, as long as they're around 500, as, a, as long as they're in the playoff race, it should be Gardner Minshew's job back. Mm-hmm. So first off, the most impressive thing about Gardner Minshew is that he's doing this while still every Saturday night playing for Wazoo at 1 a.m. Eastern, okay. and still throwing for 600 yards <laughs> in the Pac-12 every Saturday night, than playing in the NFL on Sunday. You know, Gardner Minshew, uh, I, it's a big story. It's a fun story. Um, to me, when I watch Gardner Minshew, I feel like he's always giving his receivers chances to win one-on-one down the field. But then you kind of look at the advanced stats, and he's actually near the bottom of the table and mm-hmm. average intended air yards. Uh, some of it has struck me as a bit fluky. He has a tough schedule now coming up uh, at Carolina in Week 5, who Carolina is now 4-4 four for four on scrambling pretty decent quarterbacks. They've been like a quarterback erasing team so far. And then versus the Saints at home, who you know we've seen uh, look what they did Sunday night. Dak Prescott so another two really tough tests coming up if he emerges from this playing more or less you know that patented Minshew ball that you know we just now is just synonymous with his game uh, then I feel like the the Foles Minshew thing becomes real but to me I mean basically what we're getting right now is like 90th percentile Nick Foles ball from Gardner Minshew I'm not Mm. saying we're really getting something beyond what Nick Foles offers he he escapes the pocket like he adds that level of threat that Nick Foles certainly does not and Fournette smashed this past Sunday, but Fournette is still sort of left behind in what this offense has become because with Minshew under center, he really doesn't fit. Like, you don't need a between-the-tackles guy. You need more of a, a receiving threat, and he's catching the ball well, but it's, it's still like the offense is still slightly strange. Pat, you mentioned the term fluky, and it might be. It might be. Like, we might look back in six weeks and be like, yes, this was a flash in the pan. I think part of what makes football entertaining to me is the unknown, and there might not be more of an unknown player because, you know, he didn't have a lot of opinions, a lot of evaluations coming out of college football this past season. And to me, Pat, and this is not something that will show up in next-gen stats or the box score, but when I look at Gardner Minshew, heart. I think he has it. <laughs> you know, people chase it all the time. Mm-hmm. They, they talk about it all the time. And it's comfort and chaos. And that's what he is. He has the quick game if he needs to because he had that at Washington State. But he also has that comfort and feel that outside of structure when he wants to move around when moving around this distressed pocket 
he still is fine. Like the game is not too big for him. And that's different than six round quarterbacks like Keith Winning, who were before him, Taj Boyd, uh, Tony Pike, Dan LaFever. I mean, these are players that were drafted in the same area of the NFL draft where the teams change so much year to year. And now Gardner Minshew, in one offseason, the Jaguars have already found two quarterbacks looking just once better than Blake Bortles. I'll just say with Minshew, we still haven't seen a ceiling with Gardner. He, he's, he's been hovering around 210 yards, hasn't surpassed two touchdowns, been under seven yards for attempt, three straight games. It's been very fun. It's been literally fun to watch. Like, he's fun to watch play. But I'm always surprised, basically, if his box scores aren't bigger than they are based on watching him play. And I, I'm not all in yet. I'm all in on memeing Gardner Minshew, which I've been doing mm -hmm. a lot of on Twitter but I'm not truly all the It's way. not just him, though. The the red leather jacket, the mustache, the gold chain. So I'm oh, all about the meme. It, it all uh, overlooks, though, that DJ Shark is, like, taking this jump with yeah. him. No, DJ, out of nowhere. Like, DJ Shark is who I'm more – it's not – he's a second-year, second-round. It's not out of nowhere for DJ. That's what I'm really – Right, but 40% catch rate last year was just running wind sprints. Like, he wasn't even getting yeah. used last no. year. And now he is a reliable downfield threat. Every time I look up at a Jags game uh, when we're watching here at the office, it seems like he's the one getting the downfield target, man-on-man -man coverage, and he usually pulls it down. Like, his 70% catch rate is a 30% hike than 40% catch rate last year. It's it's crazy how far he's come in just a single year. Pat, is there anyone else that has surprised you so far through four weeks of the season? I mean, it was tough for me to come out. I, I'm just not surprised by anything. But uh, we, we were talking before the show. and Except seeing Rebecca Lowe in the <laughs> yeah, yeah, hallways. Yeah. That was quite surprising. <laughs> uh, yeah, Before the show, though, we were talking about you know Darren Waller. And in a lot of ways, it's not a surprise because he was someone who was hyped all summer, all offseason. Mm -hmm. But, you know, that happens every year, every mm -hmm. offseason. And early August, Darren Waller looked almost as likely to get cut as to be a star tight end. He was not practicing. It was a jumbled depth chart. The Raiders, you know, very uncertain roster always. They had a lot of decisions to make. Uh, but, of course, he has made the team. He's now on pace for 132 catches. And Which is wild. Yeah. <laughs> it's dangerous to go on pace through four weeks, but I think it's allowed when someone a tight end is on pace for 132 right. catches. And it hasn't been, he's cleared six catches all four games on pace for 1,300 yards. He's clearly the Raiders' uh, number one passing option. He's not going to hit those numbers, obviously, but 100, 1,000 is certainly in play. And he's a guy who's yo-yoed positions a lot. He... He, ex-receiver, looks like a monster at the tight end position. I would simply say he was completely unproven, and it was coach speak throughout the offseason, and he has come and delivered. Uh, Tyrell Williams has scored a touchdown in all four games that the Raiders have played, and yet I think it's obvious that Darren Waller is still the better fantasy option. Yeah, that's a great point for fantasy, too. Uh, he hasn't, Darren Waller hasn't scored yet. He's been doing all this. <laughs> he's, been being, he's been a fantasy monster without even scoring. He leads yet. all tight ends and receptions, I believe. Yeah, and, it's, just and again, we, we talk about it maybe being dangerous to being associated with John Gruden and Derek Carr, but Darren Waller might be the perfect player perfect. to fit in Absolutely there. Absolutely is. Because we saw Jared Cook last year. We saw Jalen Richard last year. And just having that outlet receiver who succeeds in the short to intermediate areas and not downfield, and that is Darren Waller in this offense. And there's and no there's no buy low here. Like, you're buying high. But the but if there is some kind of window you can trade for him because someone believes that Josh Jacobs actually will get involved in the passing game, just go ahead and buy him because, like, Josh Jacobs is an afterthought. You, you raised an interesting point there. Uh, the John Gruden and Derek Carr, the offense they like to run, 
that's why the 132 just isn't realistic. He's going to you know, easily surpass that right. to 170. <laughs> 232. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. Uh, Dave, we'll not to put you on the spot because those are the only two names that I thought of. <laughs> or you can go the opposite. Is there anyone that has surprisingly let you down completely so far? Or we can just move on to the next question. Uh, well, I mean, honestly, Shark was mine. Yeah. And, and it's not just because it meshed with the Minshew segment. Didi got all the love prior to the season because we thought. From me as well. Yeah. I thought Shark was just going to be left behind. Like, that's it. Just a guy running. I figured Keenan, <laughs> uh, Keelan Cole would actually beat him out. But uh, it turns out, no, it's uh, Shark is really good. Man, I miss Keelan it's Cole. fun to watch. Yeah, Shark is another guy. Who, he's, like, he's just literally fun to watch. Yeah, yeah and Shark, much like how like, Dak, Dak Prescott got in the game, only because Tony Romo and Kellen Moore broke their ankles like in camp or whatever. <laughs> like, Remember, Shark is only on the field now because midweek, midway through the season last year, Cole fumbled, lost his second fumble of the year, and they just got tired of him and benched him. And then Shark comes in and just runs a ton of routes. That's a lot of Jaguar talk, uh, probably fun. for the rest of the season. Probably a lot more, of fun. Yeah, the podcast listeners probably weren't ready for that. But, uh, but finally, they're entertaining. Even after a game where Leonard Fournette racks up like 200-something But they're down by two scores. No. Like, they made it fun. Pat, what about you? What stood out to you from this past weekend, but also in the most recent four weeks of the season. I mean, we have to talk about Jared Goff, don't we? I mean, do we have to? Do we? Is road golf becoming every game? <laughs> it's golf always my favorite golf. topic, yeah, to be yeah. perfectly honest with you, that when we can talk about the real Jared Goff. Yeah, so I'm going to have to stare at my computer and read some stats here. So, you know, it's a thing in sports, we're really into arbitrary endpoints. But so the first 27 games of Jared Goff and Sean McVay's career, so all of 2017 through the Chiefs game last year, uh, Jared Goff was looking, you know, basically like an ascendant star player. At 55 touchdowns, only 13 interceptions in 27 games, 8.42 yards per attempt, uh, completing nearly 65% of his passes. And so, you know, then they had that 54-51 win. They go on by. They come off by against the Lions last year. They won that game. But, you know, it's kind of now the fabled game mm-hmm. where Matt Patricia, you know, introduced the new blueprint mm-hmm. how to stop Jared Goff, which I'm not good at. Ex- what is it like playing quarters defense? Basically, is kind of well. It's I'm, that, but it's also stacking the box like five, six, and one yeah. behind them. So, so it's really muddying the a gap. So that was the game where Matt Patricia kind of put out the new blueprint. In the 12 games since then, including the playoffs, Goff now has more interceptions than touchdowns. His yards per attempt has gone from 8.42 to 6.76. His completion percentage is down to just around 60%. And he went through a playoff run where I think he had one touchdown in three games, and that has just kind of transferred over to this season. And so it took the league a while, but the league has finally adjusted to Sean McVay's Jared Goff adjustments, and I'll be very interested to see if Jared Goff can answer back. My assumption has always been, and it hasn't happened yet, but – I still work under the assumption that Sean McVay is smart enough to answer whatever the league has presented. Uh, and that hasn't been the case just yet. They did finally use Todd Gurley and their running backs in the passing game, which Todd Gurley's numbers, when, when I saw them at the end of the night. <laughs> hey, he had two touchdowns. I, I saw That's two touchdowns, and I didn't worry about it. Then I saw five carries, and I saw 11 targets. Like, what the hell Todd, happened to that game? Todd Gurley, Jeff Wilson. Yeah. No difference. You had to go back to watch to see just how confusing it was. Uh but, yeah, I still think McVay has an answer. Um, I don't know how he masks Jared Goff moving forward because that's what you're going to have to do. Isn't it wild, though, that this is how we are framing this conversation after Jared Goff throws for over 500 yards in a game? <laughs> he, I mean, he think about he gets that. a 120 million Jared like, Goff, two weeks ago. He tied for the third most, the third most attempts in NFL history yesterday. And the yards were, like, eighth most in NFL history. And it was just, like, objectively not a good game. (laughs) Look, I don't want to, like, scratch the scab because I've talked a lot about Jared Goff over the years. And I would say I was before this downturn in play. And it's not that he's being pressured. um, It's not like he's worse against pressure this year. Right. 
He's just being pressured Pressure. more often. Because their line year. was the concern coming in. Right. And the last two years, it was a perfect situation to succeed. You know, you had great offensive line play as soon as Sean McVay came in. And it was a, a perfect situation for success. This year, it's not the case. There are injuries. Andrew Whitworth is declining in play because he's like 45 years old. Um, and young? I don't know how long this can last because if there are even more injuries, if the play declines even more as it goes along, then the Rams, again, they're still 3-1, and one, right? This is still a team with a winning record early in the season and just coming off one loss. But I do wonder if it can be as sustained of success as we've seen the last two years. And you're the one who always mentions it to me at the office. It's the fact that Jared Goff, when he's not working under a structure, when it becomes freestyle, like that's when it gets terrifying. For sure. And the fact <laughs> is, he's playing more freestyle this year because he has to, because he's under a lot more pressure. Yeah, um, he's, play, he's playing more freestyle. And we know all about the famous Sean McVay barking in audibles to 15 seconds. And I think... Which is so beautiful. And I think, like defense is, I think defense has been, you know, counter-audibling more now after 15 seconds. And Jared Goff to me often looks like he's like a student who's forgotten to get his homework signed, like in a panic. And then, the, you know, the play snaps and he looks, yeah, out of structure. Uh, by the way, earlier I said abjectly when I meant to say objectively. Just got to correct that. I'm Neither sure one no one noticed but you. Yeah. yeah. Well, now they know. Thank you. What about you? What was your big takeaway from the weekend? Uh, last week, we came on this very show and discussed our unbeaten teams and who we thought were the best ones and who we thought were the pretenders of that group. And I watched, went back and watched that Lions-Chiefs game, a battle of undefeated teams. And it was a loss, yes, for the Lions, but that schedule might as well just say win. Like, they are for real. And they're fun. Like, this is a game. Moral victories, John Diggs. This is a game. Yeah, I didn't take you. Well, I mean, I was so down on them just thinking the play calling would be bad and set them behind in this game. But they used T.J. Hawkinson as they did in week one whenever they had to. Whenever they had to have an attacking offense, they went for the win. They set up screens for him. They used him in the red zone. They gave Carrion Johnson uh, uh, snaps from outside and gave him a 30-yard end zone target as a receiver. They used J.D. McKissick in the slot. Um, this is a game where... I've never said this, but I think they needed Danny Amendola just for an, another factor underneath because mm -hmm. it would have certainly helped. But recall, this is a 13-13 contest. Lions inside the five. Stafford throws a touchdown to make it 20-13. That touchdown is negated. It's 13-13 again, and then Stafford fumbles. That's a seven-point swing. Let's do it again now. Another tie game, and then Carryon Johnson gets a goal line carry, stretches it out, fumbles, 99-yard fumble return for a touchdown. Seven-point swing again. Those things don't happen consistently. So these teams obviously wouldn't run into each other again until the Super Bowl, but the fact that they genuinely went toe-to-toe, -to -toe, offense and defense, yeah. Justin, Coleman, Justin Coleman doing such an amazing job. They did this without Darius Slay as well. Like, this team, I'm not even kidding, is for real, and it's fun as hell to watch. It's, it's one where... If we didn't have these biases, if we didn't have these preconceived notions prior to the season, so then if we were just watching these four-game stretch, we would think the Lions might be one of the better teams in the NFL. But it's amazing because going back 365 days ago, there were reports that there might be a mutiny in the Lions <laughs> locker room, yeah. like no one was having fun there. They're probably still not having fun. But, uh... but it's so well coached. It's so, so how I don't understand how they could be so behind, but then like they institute a progressive play calling when they need to. It's like, why don't you do this all the time? Yeah. When you're talking about preconceived notions of the Lions, one of my preconceived notions for the season was at least Matt Patricia, he can scheme up a defensive game plan, and that has run true. He's definitely still, done that. Yes. Yeah, Their defensive games. coaching is what has stood out 
all year long, no matter the situation. Let's move over to John Daigle's waiver wire column. Again, you can find that at Roto World. We're just skimming the surface here. Daigle goes deep, helps you win your league each and every week. Drive myself crazy. Let's start with Ronald Jones, another player who's been a little bit surprising, especially over the past two weeks with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers out of their backfield. Two weeks ago, 14 carries for 80 yards, one target for 41 yards. This past weekend, 19 carries for 70 yards, a touchdown, and another target for 12 yards. Um, we all thought that Peyton Barber would claim this backfield, mm -hmm. but over the past two weeks, again, it's been Ronald Jones. It has been slow and steady. Like they, Bruce Arians is refusing to give one the job, but it's becoming clearer as the weeks move along that Ronald Jones will eventually take this over. So I don't know if he'll be a starter as early as week five, but it's going to happen, I would say, within the next three weeks that he is the only running back carrying the ball, um, out-touching Peyton Barber the whole way. Past two weeks, as you mentioned, 59% of the team snaps. Uh, season high yesterday, 49% of the team snaps. So it's just a matter of getting him right now because he's going to be a starter and help you out midway through the year, especially when we get the four and 16 bye weeks coming up. Yeah, he's cleared 70 yards rushing in three or four games. And he's this, looked good, honestly. Yeah, and this is an old, yeah, if we're talking about the eye test, uh, Peyton Barber, unsurprisingly failing it. Ronald Jones, mostly passing it. Hey, you know, it doesn't look like amazing, but better than we thought. He well, looks a gear faster than Peyton Barber. And this is another thing, it's interesting because this was a summer meet. Like, basically, by week one, I was like, really, really wish I hadn't talked about Ronald Jones so mm -hmm. much over oh, the yeah, summer. Oh, yeah, you did, Pat. Yeah. <laughs> it was Vance McDonald, Ronald Jones, and Kyler Murray. Really that was the offseason for Patrick Doherty. He faded more towards, like, as training camp really got going, but June, July, I was talking about Ronald Jones a lot. And, you know, I was feeling pretty dumb. Now, about that. I think we even one. did a video, Pat, and you had to talk about a player and you you said it's Ronald Jones and as soon as we were done you're like why did I talk yeah, about Ronald Jones? <laughs> that was that was a true true now feeling. Ronald Jones has only gotten three targets all year that's disgusting yeah. like uh Dare still has that passing down role and we need Jones to take it but I still think it's a tremendous opportunity to grab him right now even the Bucks we were talking about the Lions with this even the Bucks are up and down so far God, right it's wild roller coaster like winning that Thursday night game against the Panthers they should be three and one after a missed field goal last yep. week against the New York Giants that disaster now going out to Los Angeles and winning it's it goes from hey Bruce Arians this is exactly why he was hired to rejuvenate this offense and this team all the way down to Bruce Arians looks checked out like he's doing this just for his yeah. coordinators and Byron Leftwich and Todd Bowles and whoever else and now we're back up again um, this is a team I still, after four weeks, what, they're two and two, I believe. Mm -hmm. We still don't know, I think, about who they're going to be in week 16, but there are some highs. And if they can sustain those highs with Jameis Winston, Chris Godwin, Mike Evans, Ronald Jones now, and that defense playing so well with Shaq Barrett, it could be a really fun team as we approach the offseason. It comes down to Jameis Winston only turning the ball over once per game as opposed to three or four times. And yesterday, it was pretty much uh, that single interception at the end that didn't matter really. It was, at that point. Yeah, that was bad throw. But yeah, yeah the it Bucks. What, it's James Winston. The Bucks. Yeah. You know, it's the thing. It's kind of like the sequencing. How sequencing affects narratives. If the Bucks in Week One had beaten the Rams 55-40 in Los Angeles, the entire season narrative would be different. True. And then say if they had played the 49ers yesterday, you know, the 49ers looked like an upstart defense. We didn't quite know that for sure in Week One. So this is kind of sequencing affects so much how we think about these things. Next up is Kiki Cutie of the Houston Texans slot receiver. Uh, Daigle, you're not suggesting him or talking about him because of his volume so far this year, his production so far oh, this year. Absolutely. Because he has seven targets, three receptions for 18 yards. But Kenny Stills, who was acquired like the week of, the of week one, um, has been doing well in the slot and left with an injured hamstring, I believe, in the second quarter of last week's game. And we think Cutie will replace him. Yeah, and that's the only reason why. One, 
first of all, waiver wire this week is ugly. Like you gotta you gotta start grabbing. It's crazy. Especially, especially sell it, Dave. Wide receiver, sell it. The wide receiver position, people, it's very bare right now. It's, it's about as bleak as I've ever seen this week. But QT. Just around 11 targets per game and the four games he was healthy for in and out of the lineup last year. Health has always been his issue. Uh, and But we go back to their playoff game, their loss against the Colts just last year. QT was healthy, started, 86% snap rate, uh, team high 14 targets, 110 yards and a touchdown. And that was only at the end of last year. Kenny Steele's overtook this slot role. But I genuinely think it's been bad for their offense because his – 13. Wow. No, but his 13, 14 average depth of target is now meshing downfield with Fuller's and Hopkins, whereas wow. QT is genuinely a safety blanket. Like it's underneath eight yards that he was targeted last year. Huh. So I think the ceiling is not high, clearly, but it's genuinely, if he starts this game, I would bet 10 targets. Wow. I mean, one, I think Kenny Stills is a better football player than Kiki. I, I agree with you. Two, I think adding Duke Johnson in the passing game has allowed them to attack that short area of the field. At least it was this past week. I'm about to say, have they added it to him, though? Like, well, they did. I mean, they, a little bit this week. Deshaun has been dropping his eyes as Deshaun does. Mm-hmm. I also don't think he's someone that relies on that safety blanket type of play. Like he's when not. he drops his eyes and has that playmaker mentality, he wants to hit three verticals down the field. And that's Will Fuller, that's DeAndre Hopkins, and that's. Correct, but with the same personnel in place, same coach, same everything in place, he still looked to QT last year. Well, a lot of that to me, if I'm remembering correctly, my memory might serve me wrong. It does often. Mm -hmm. I'm 31 years old. Um, Is manufactured touches. Like, there were a lot of manufactured touches of those pop passes and handoffs and quick screens and things of that sort. So I wonder if they do reincorporate those as we go along with him most likely back in the starting line. Like I said, I I think... That sort of receiver, as opposed to having three of the same guys, yeah. genuinely can unlock their offense and make them better. So we, do the Texans think Kiki Cutie is good, though? I mean, that's probably part of the reason they acquired Duke Johnson and Kenny Stills. I don't think they know why they acquired Duke Johnson, to be Yeah, honest. that's actually a good point. And uh, it, it's a, the sample size is ridiculously small, of course. But yeah. Kiki Cutie is averaging. It's a bare week, people. He's averaging 0.35. It's a desert. So 0.35 yards per route run. The next name on the list could have been answer actually in question number one. Cortland Sutton mm-hmm. of the Denver Broncos. It's actually why I didn't mention him because I knew we were going to talk about <laughs> 31 I just targets, points. 22 receptions, 309 yards, and two touchdowns. That's with Emmanuel Sanders still playing very good football next yes. to him. And that's with Joe Flacco throwing the football. This is Cortland Sutton's third year in the NFL? Second, second year second, in the NFL? Second, second year breakout just that. like Sharp. <laughs> um, and he's emerging in his second year as well. Yeah, his his average depth of target has dropped like four yards from last year, um, whereas last year he finished top 10 in targets 20-plus yards downfield. But this year, same as Emmanuel Sanders, just three. Uh, he's become a more reliable route runner, and his numbers are on par, basically the same thing as Emmanuel Sanders. And so if you ask me, which one are you betting on the rest of the season, I'm actually taking the second-year guy nice. who's still developing over the guy who's looked terrific. I still can't believe him and Cooper Cup. Like I need to tear my ACL just to come back stronger, honestly. They look <laughs> great, but I'm still taking... Isn't that like Tommy John? Like, don't high schoolers now get Tommy John just to have stronger arms? There's no, something to that's that. my baseball that, knowledge. That, there's apparently, uh, there's now a new counter-narrative that people don't come back from Tommy John as robustly as the public perception. Oh, when the sample oh, size gets larger, yeah, the yeah. data points them in the other direction? Yes, yes, Got it. But, Sorry to interrupt. No, no, you're fine. So yeah, it's just Cortland Sutton, uh, like uh, his catch rate as well has hiked this year as he's been a more reliable threat downfield. 
And so, yeah, I just think it's a, it's a genuine WR3 weekly. Um, you can flex them even when buys are done. It's a great option. Are you cheating here? Is he over 50% owned? Uh, he is 51% owned. You're cheating. <laughs> I had to nudge the system. It's a bear week, Josh. <laughs> <laughs> what Sutton can do in contested catch situation, over seven targets every four games, I'm aboard yep. the Sutton train as nice. well. Nice. Let's close it out. This waiver column, again, you can check out the full-length piece of work over on Roto World. Darrell Williams, the other running back, a running back on the best offense in the NFL, the Kansas City Chiefs, uh, 17 carries, 75 yards, and two touchdowns and 90 receiving yards, I believe, over the last two weeks with mm -hmm. those receiving yards. Um, I don't know much about Darrell Williams, but he's gotten the opportunities close to the goal line, and he scored, again, two touchdowns against the Lions. Yeah, McCoy was cleared from the injury report on Friday. That's what's important to remember here. And even so, Darrell Williams outsnapped McCoy 34-32 to and was used entirely as their running back on the final game-winning drive with less than three minutes to go. Uh, he had a huge slot target that he uh, caught for, I think it was a 30-yard gain downfield. And uh, the last two games, yes, we can attribute the first one to McCoy's hobbled ankle. Uh, but the last two games, eight and a half carries, four and a half targets per game. And if you get that production with Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs offense, that's a, such an important running back to own on your roster. I wrote about him as the number one waiver ad last week only for the ceiling option. Uh, mm. I still think his ceiling is higher than Wayne Gallman's rest of season outlook, but I understand if you lost Barkley or had two injured running backs, you needed to bid more on Gallman, and I wrote about that in the column. But Darrell Williams is still only 35% owned, and he needs to be owned universally because he's a, he's a weak winning running back. Like He's a top 20 guy you can confidently start. He's on the Chiefs. He's a, that, I mean, yeah. it's that simple. He's on the Chiefs and he's getting touches. I am curious to see what happens when Damian Williams comes back? Because yeah. I don't... I don't know. I don't know either. And I agree, Darrell Williams should be 100% owned. And Andy Reid told the CBS broadcast booth last week, and his exact quote was, I believe in Darrell Williams. Yeah. And then he closed out the game last week after LaShawn McCoy tweaked his That ankle. was the big one. But then, like you said, it's bigger. He closed out the game yesterday where LaShawn supposedly was healthy. Yeah, no. And a game that was, was actually fine. in doubt. McCoy actually looked really good in that game, yeah. too. Like, uh... The Buffalo McCoy is a thing of the past. Like, he cuts so sharp still, he easily breaks tackles. But Williams is dependent, can catch the ball, and as we always point to, he's on the Chiefs' offense. That's the key. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that does it for us on this episode. Pat, thanks for saying a little day extra. Yeah. Appreciate you joining us here. Truly my desk. pleasure, yeah. Um, Pat will be back later in this week, I think on Friday's episode for rankings and game previews. Day will be back. All, Actually, every day. <laughs> every day. <laughs> and Ian Harditz for the Wednesday episode as well. Uh, again, go back and listen to our Roundup episode, which was the previous one prior to this. And we'll be back, Rotoworld Live, next Sunday, noon Eastern, twitch.tv slash Rotoworld. Thank you so much for tuning in. We are nearing the next 100 reviews on Apple, on iTunes. So if you can just leave us a rating and review, it would really, really, truly help us out and tell one friend, subscribe. Talk to y'all soon. See ya. Treat dad to the good stuff at Nordstrom Rack and save big. Father's Day is Sunday, June 16th, and Nordstrom Rack's got gifts dad will love up to 60% off. Shirts, activewear, watches, cologne, denim, and more. Find amazing deals on Tommy Bahama, Cole Haan, Original Penguin, and Vince. Great brands, great prices. So get to your Nordstrom Rack store now and make Dad's day with gifts up to 60% off. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil.